0: Welcome back or welcome to the single track podcast. I am your host, Finn Melanson. And in this episode, we talk with Taggart Van Etten, who has one of the best names in running. In addition to being a great endurance athlete based in central Illinois, Taggart made a big splash on the road ultra scene in 2021. We cover a lot of topics in this conversation, including how his background has influenced the type of training he does, which is monumental in a lot of ways we talk about what attracted him to ultras why he's leaving the scene for a bit his thoughts on sponsorship the culture of our sport and way more i enjoyed this conversation felt like i made a friend in the process and will definitely be on the lookout for taggart's return to the scene in a few years he's got some lofty goals for sure let's get started taggart van etten welcome to the single track podcast Hey, Ben. Uh, Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here and very lucky to have this conversation. Before we get into your background, I want to make a note. I think you have one of the most badass names in all of ultra running.
1: (laughs) Thank you so much. My first name actually comes from like a Western cowboy book my dad read uh, a long time ago. So I've got the book in my garage somewhere. um, I've never read it, but I
0: guess it's a good one. (laughs) Yeah, I was... was telling my girlfriend earlier this morning that I was going to record with you. And she's like, does he know that that's like the most badass name ever? And I was like, I I think so. (laughs) Anyways, I wish I had like a van in front of my name or something like that. It's I I, I dig it. And Tiger's a sick name too. (laughs) Thank you so much. Anyways, I know you've done a couple podcasts in the ultra running scene, but just in case there are some listeners that haven't heard of you, could you give us a bit about your running background and what you've accomplished so far in our scene?
1: Yeah, I started running when I was 17, a little bit in high school, uh, a little bit in junior college, not so great experience in junior college. I dropped out and picked up triathlon, uh, did triathlon for four or five years, became a pretty uh, respectable 70.3 age group uh, competitor there, uh, brought my half Ironman time down to like 4.12 or 4.13, I can't remember, it was a while ago, that was like 2019, and then I um, I was able to run a decently quick marathon and I decided I would just kind of leave the triathlon scene and pick up running for an OTQ in 2020. And then the pandemic hit and I couldn't run a marathon. So, uh, I made the, the decision to go to tunnel Hill and I had the best day of my life where I ran, uh, 12, 19 54, my first ultra, um, following in, in that tunnel
0: Hill tunnel Hills is a hundred miler.
1: Yes, Yes. Yes. Tunnel is a hundred miler. Um, And then following that six months later, I ran the 100-mile treadmill world record in 11.32. And since then, I really haven't had a great ultra, but I've had, well, I had a decent one in October. I had an okay 50-miler, but I had two ups and now a few downs. So I've just been kind of here and there. And recently, I ran a 2.22 marathon. So just trying to improve upon that now.
0: Awesome. And so it sounds like you are really focused on like the flat, uh, ultra distance scene, which is really cool. I mean, Camille Heron comes to mind. Zach Bitter comes to mind. I know that uh, Jim Walmsley, for example, set the American 100K record at that Hoka event earlier this year. I don't know. I'm I'm trying to think of where we can go with this. But is, is this a scene? What inspired you to get into this scene? Is it is it because you had this background already on the roads and in triathlon, where there was like a natural evolution? Why did you jump straight from like an OTQ quest to a hundred miles. Cause that, in my opinion, that's a big leap, but I could be wrong.
1: So, um, with a triathlon, it's a lot of speed. Everyone's tr- always trying to do a personal best and 70.3 Olympic or like full Ironman distance triathletes are very speedful as far as they want to race fast courses and everything. And with me growing up in Illinois, I really have never gotten the opportunity to go on a trail, go on a mountain. I don't vacation in like Colorado or anything like that. So I'm the product of my environment there, meaning that I would prefer a flatter distance. Honestly, in 2020, the the only reason why Tunnel Hill happened was because of the pandemic, and there were no marathons. So I thought. I would just do this 100 miler and get my 100 miler, uh, uh, a finisher buckle and be done with it. So I never really expected to be an ultra runner. uh, That's how things worked out for me. But I'm glad it did.
0: It sounded like you were having success after success, though. So like you entered into Tunnel Hill, there was success there again with the Mm -hmm. treadmill uh, Mm -hmm. record. Talk a bit about where you went After that, because offline, we were talking about how you're going to give ultras a break. You're going to go after an OTQ in 2024. Talk a bit about what the second half of the season looked like and why you decided to at least temporarily shut things down in our world.
1: Yeah. Six weeks after my treadmill world record, I was going after the sub 11 attempt at six days in the dome. I wanted to run hundred miles in 10 hours and 59 minutes. I wasn't having a great day. I blew up around like mile 62, 63. I made just over hundred K in at sub 11 pace. It was just kind of the environment of the dome it was very dry in there. And I come from a very humid environment. So probably something as far as like hydration was not as great as it should have been on that day and all that. Then what was it probably eight weeks later, I signed up for what's called the badger trail 100. It's this very hot and humid kind of like tunnel hill type of rail trail that goes from Illinois to Wisconsin and back twice. And that day I had to pull out at mile 87 because I was feeling like my knee clicking and my gait cycle was off. I was on pace for sub 13 hours in a race that was probably 90 degrees outside with like 70% humidity. It was a tough freaking race. I'll tell you that. It was not very easy, but um, I had pulled out mile 87 there. Then I was kind of like debating on if I should pursue Tunnel Hill or not and all this stuff. But I was signed up for the Hennepin 50 and the Tunnel Hill 100. I was going after a sub five at uh, Hennepin, but again, the heat and the humidity was there and I ran a course record in like 532, which is great, but I can normally do that on a Saturday training run. So I wasn't really too thrilled about that. And I had made the decision in my mind that I was going to go after a pretty hard marathon in um, Indianapolis a few weeks later. And I did Um, probably five or six weeks after Hennepin, I was able to run 222 at Indy, which was great because the buildup was so short. It was basically like a quick ultra to marathon plan where I just put in five weeks of just marathon workouts and a two week taper. And I was there. And then I decided pretty much the week of Indianapolis that I would go to Tunnel Hill seven days later and try to race for a sub 12 and potentially win. So I, so I kind of did it to myself, but I'm okay with that. I just said every race I had nothing to lose and I don't have anything to lose.
0: Well, let me ask you this, and I know we're going to dive into what your goals are for the next couple of years in a minute, but when you look at a lot of these long-distance road ultra records, for example, 100-mile world record, the 100K world record, the 50-mile record, and maybe we can talk about the American one too, but do any of those seem either within reach or out of reach to you? Like when you look at what Jim Walmsley did earlier this year, do you think to yourself, that's stout? Or if I put in X amount of work and I'm mature as a runner, that's something that belong in that conversation too, if I ever line up for it.
1: What Jim did was extremely impressive. I watched it on a training run and I couldn't believe it was happening. And I was just like screaming for him when he was coming down that long. That 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 long straightaway to the finish, but uh, definitely someday when I come back, I I think I can run potentially the 100k American world record. That will take some time. That's a very stout record. And same way with Jim's 50 mile, it's either an American record or a world record. It's like 4:52 or something like that. I guess kind of my baby first would be aiming for the 100 mile world record and going from there. Right now, I'm eventually we'll talk about this, but I think some a uh, couple of years of marathon speed will make that potential ultra return seem a lot easier on my legs someday when I want to go back to the longer stuff.
0: Yeah. And I was just going to ask you, but I think you've already answered it, whether you prefer to be a big fish in a small pond or a small fish in a big pond, because you've already established yourself as one of the best ultra runners in our sport in a very short amount of time. And now you're going to go back to a scene where, you know, there's maybe a hundred plus runners that are going to get their OTQ before 2024. I'm just ballparking it there. What what motivated that decision to go back for an OTQ? Is it purely to get speed again when you returned ultras? Or are you trying to do something interesting there as well?
1: Getting an OTQ is just something that I need for myself. It's one of the reasons why I've always ran. To be honest, I will never reach the Olympics. I just don't have the natural ability. I don't have the talent and mm-hmm. all that good stuff. So getting to the Olympic trials in 2024 and 2028 is my Olympics. I'm going to go there and race it hard and try to place, well, I'm not going to really try to do anything too stupid and blow up there. It's something that I never thought I'd be able to reach to and be able to get in with the top 100, top 200 fastest marathoners in the United States. It just sounds really sweet to me to do. And with being 26, I'm still young as far as distance running, especially ultra running goes. So I might as well use the leg speed now and then come back later or come back in between the two.
0: You talked in a couple podcasts and pretty openly on like Twitter and other social channels about how you quote unquote burned yourself out of ultras. Can you talk about exactly what that was like? And the reason I ask is because we do have a history in our sport of some of the best runners doing this. Jeff Rose comes to mind. Mike Wolf comes to mind. There's just a lot, especially earlier in the 2010s, there were a lot of guys that were doing big mileage uh, relentlessly in racing like every other week. And then we don't hear from them Mm -hmm. anymore. Was that your situation and were you trying to nip it in the bud early so that you do still have some time when you come back?
1: Honestly, with having the success of Tunnel Hill and then the, and and the success of the treadmill blew my head up, which I'm fine with. And then I really wanted that sub 11 and I've never really talked about it too much, but I think that at the dome cut deeper than what most people think. I think it just killed my swagger for ultra for the whole year. I was like borderline depressed this summer, honestly, mm-hmm. after mm-hmm. it. And that day was just like, there's a photo of like me on the other side of the track, just a hot mess. But it was that that just took everything away from me. It felt like that I had never ran till 19 or, or like 1132. But yeah, I would say that uh, I had a friend suggest that after the dome, that I do a fall marathon or two fall marathons and come back to ultra in the spring. And at the time, I, it didn't seem right because I was like, no, I, I really need this 100-mile world record. This is this is what I'm made for. But now looking back, maybe if I could have changed something, it would have been moving on from the dome and just taking some easy time and building up for potentially what could have been a 219 in Indianapolis, a 218. I'm not 100% sure what I could have ran off of 16 weeks. But I don't regret it. So I just went out there and and just like I say every time, I don't have anything to lose other than a hotel and some gas. That's about it.
0: Well, you used the word swagger earlier. And I think one of my favorite things about you is you bring this, well, I'm going to call it like a fresh personality. Like not a lot of people approach the sport and talk about the sport in ways you do. One person that comes to mind, I just interviewed Sabrina Stanley, who is one of the best female mountain hundred milers in the world right now. I think she Mm -hmm. thinks about it in a similar way. Where does your um, confidence come from? Where does your perspective on the sport come from? Is it influenced by like what you did in the tri scene? I'm just curious.
1: When I was a triathlete, I would sign up for races to where I knew like the top age groupers, like top five at Kona would be at. Um, I would sign up for these big races because all I want to do is race them. I would. Um, try to bike with these guys who are like 32, 33, you just hold massive power and then try to run them down. So, um, I always wanted to race the best and I still do. And I would say the confidence would definitely come from my training. Uh, I'm not afraid to put in the work. Um, I'll, I will wake up earlier than anyone. I'll run longer, run farther, run harder. Um, I'll do basically whatever it takes to get to the top level, uh, the confidence probably 80% comes from that. Um, yeah, just, just, uh, just kind of the training, you know, this year I just posted, I put in 8,300 miles and 2021 and 2020, I ran just under 6,000 miles. I don't think I will ever touch 8,000 again, but, um, I'll definitely next year be hitting around by that 7,000 to 7,500 range.
0: How about so I, that?
1: Yeah. What? How about
0: about the cultural differences between, for example, the triathlon world where you've spent the majority of your career and the ultra scene? Do people talk differently? Do they approach competition differently? Do they talk the talk differently? I'm curious.
1: Well, definitely in triathlon, you got guys like Lionel and uh, Sam Long who aren't afraid to go out and say, you know, they want to race Gustav. They want to race Young. They want to, I'd say Lionel says wants a video, he wants to kick someone's ass. And he's not meaning it in a bad way. But these guys are just out there saying, hey, let's meet up, let's race, let's dig hard. And they aren't afraid to go out, blow up. And I mean, Lionel walked like three Ironman marathons this year, three or four, and just try their best up against whoever, whether it be the ITU guys coming in to 70.3 or like um, Jan or Gustav, the best two in the world. Yeah. So there definitely needs to be more of that in ultra running, just the top dogs wanting to race each other.
0: I was just going to ask, have you seen any similarities in ultra or yeah. How would you describe the ultra scene by comparison?
1: So the ultra scene is pretty quiet. Corey Walter and I kind of talk a little crap on Twitter with each other. I'd like to race Zach Bevin someday. He's another one of my uh, frenemies, but as far in the grand scheme of things, um, I've never really seen much. Guys don't even like jokingly talk about it. I don't get it why no one wants to like race each other or just have fun. You don't have to be a butthole about it, but at the same time, you can just start up a fire under someone and say, hey, let's race, you know, call them out, go for it.
0: How do you view your competition in this sport? Like, is are you afraid of anyone?
1: I'm not necessarily afraid of anyone, but would I sign up for a mountain race and kind of be like, oh no, right now? Yeah. If I were to sign up for... Any sort of mountain race, I would have to take a year as far as like incline treadmill training, some mountain training, some ascending and some descending. Like if I were somehow selected into hard rock, I'd probably be in a little over my head right now, but it would just like anything, I would need one or two blocks of that specific training to be like, okay, I, I can take this guy on. I mean, mm-hmm. there, yeah.
0: So you would consider doing a UTMB or an ultra running one day if you were in the right setting?
1: I don't know. Uh, a few people have told me that I need to take like a, like a mountain running vacation, like a week vacation somewhere and really like go enjoy trail running because I, I never really have. So right now that just doesn't really appeal to me too much, but maybe this summer or next summer I should go to Boulder for a week and run up Pikes Peak a few times. I don't know. Or just something like that.
0: Dude, come out to Salt Lake City sometime and we'll host you. <laughs> sweet sounds good. I want to switch gears a bit. I'm really curious to get a sense of where you do the bulk of your training and how it's molded you as a runner in our sport.
1: Cool. I would say it's close to 60, 70% of my training is on my treadmill in my house. I'm very big on the treadmill soft surface. I run a lot on Swift. I GM out Spotify pretty much every morning, Monday through Fridays, on the treadmill. In the afternoons, just around the town I live in here, Morton, Uh Uh, kind of like a few miles here and there that's where the majority of my training is probably 95 percent is right out either in my house or out my front door i don't really go too many places or try to run with people just because it's just always a headache for me if i try to meet up with someone i don't know it's just easier for me to get ready on a saturday morning here and just go on my own and and i don't mind that i've always been like a lone wolf trainer and just prefer solo I can't you, hear
0: you. You don't think you, uh, you don't think you'd, you'd benefit from having training partners.
1: Well, here's my thing with training partners, like guys like Galen Rubb don't train in a group. And if he can do it and be the best in the United States and what was he ninth or 10th place at the Olympics, then I can do it. You know, uh, would a group help me? Yes. But I think a group would hurt me because let's say, uh, we're going on a recovery run, and some of the guys feel just 1% better than I do. And they start clicking off seven minute miles when I want to run seven and a half minute mile pace, or like I'm in a workout with them and I go a little too deep into the well because my self pride is like, hey, you need to hold with them on these mile repeats. I do probably 90% of my workouts on the treadmill. And like right now, I've got 217.59, like right above my treadmill to uh, just remind myself that's the Olympic trials qualifying time and everything. So I'm big on treadmill workouts because the only thing I have to focus on is putting one step in front of the other. And um, I can choose how deep I want to go that on that specific training session.
0: Maybe talk a bit about your philosophy too, when it comes to training, we talked offline, you said that you don't come from talent. You don't think you have anything, at least initially to build off of. So you aim to be the hardest worker. Can you talk a bit more about that?
1: Yeah. A lot of people don't know how far I've came since I was in high school. I think my first uh, 5K was just under 20 minutes when I was 17. It took me a while to break five in the mile. My freshman year of college, I was like 29 minutes for 8K, somewhere in there. So like six minute mile pace, right under six minute mile pace. I've just always felt like I don't have any talent. And it's kind of built this like grudge on my shoulder just to like train the hardest. And that's kind of part of my personality right there is to feel like, I, I don't have anything to prove to anyone except for myself. And I see like everything I will ever want as far as an OTQ on mile world record. Let's say someday I run 214.59 in the marathon, which would be freaking awesome. Everything I'd ever want is just how much are you willing to work? How much are you willing to put training ahead of everything else? And that's just kind of how I see it as
0: now talk a bit about what your daily life looks like when it comes to training and uh, yeah how you orient it around running
1: yeah so pretty much right now during the school year i'll wake up a little bit before five put in on a normal day 10 miles before school on a workout day once a week i'll do like 24 22 miles before school so four days a week about 10 miles go to school teach pe come home um Around that eight miles range, some strides, a little bit of body strength, is what I'm into now. And that's it for the day. On Saturdays, I'll work out. On Sundays, I'll do a medium long. Uh, I just kind of, I'm very lucky because like my friends and my family are very supportive over my training and my racing and just my big life goals. I do have a social life, but uh, my, my three best friends, Logan, Cole, and Jared, um, who are my like I said, my my closest friends are crewing for me at every ultra. My mom is very helpful. My sister's been helpful. My girlfriend's been helpful for everything. And they're all very supportive. I mean, there are times, very few a year when I'm like, you know what? I got to put this ahead. But then again, if that happens, I'll just wake up a little bit earlier to get in on the miles for the day before work or just figure out a way to adjust my schedule to, to get in the volume that week.
0: So it sounds like... You have this almost perfectly dialed in. I'm curious, given that you're so committed to the sport, your lifestyle is so dialed in, you have buy in from family and friends, do you ever experience doubt in your training or are you just somebody with whom commitment just comes naturally?
1: So I think my personality is like a pretty routine. I've never really experienced doubt in training. I've had bad races where I've doubted if I should be an ultra, but I've definitely had success. So I do have a place here somewhere, but honestly, I just, I just enjoyed like the daily journey of waking up and getting in 10 and just feeling that, you know, just feeling that runner's high before work and going to school and then coming home and getting the opportunity to do it again at four o'clock in the afternoon. I just really enjoy the journey. I think honestly, more than racing sometimes. So,
0: so you don't experience any doubt, like you're just like X number of months or years ago when you decided to like go all in on this stuff, you made that decision. And and since then it's just been like a forward push.
1: Yeah. I'd say probably the big turn was it would have been my junior going kind of like the start of my junior year of college, maybe like the second semester of January, 2017, I wanted to be one of the better triathletes and college triathlon. And I was like, you know what? You can't make any more excuses. You got to go to the pool seven days a week. You got to ride your bike every day. You got to, you got to every week be putting in like 15 to 20 hours of work to have success in these races and potentially get your pro cart and triathlon someday. And that that structure really taught me like how to train and how to consistently train more than anything. And probably another big thing was I listened to an interview with Jan Ferdano and, and he was asked, you know, uh, what is your big thing on training? And he just said, a uh, consistency coming in every day, doing your job and then coming back the next day and doing it again and just being consistent for not even like, training blocks or one year. He said 10 years of consistent training and you will find where you want to be. So
0: I like that. Well, one other question I've always wanted to ask you, you're known for doing big mileage. I think Mm -hmm. earlier this year you put in, it was maybe a 260 or 270 mile week, which is uh, to viewers like me absurd, but you got it done. I'm curious. There's a lot of questions I have on this, but I'm curious, how do you occupy your mind on those runs? are you distracting yourself with music or podcasts or is this committed lifestyle? Does it extend to like mid run too, where uh, you're just like in the zone constantly?
1: You know, I'd say almost every run is uh visualization, you know, during those big 200 plus mile weeks, maybe not every run was, it was just kind of like just my mind wandering, but definitely 99% of my runs is after I get warmed up and feeling good, just, I go through how I see my next race unfolding as far as mile by mile. And then just as I get closer to the end of the run, I get closer to the end of the race. And and I'm really able just to lock myself and just kind of see, I will, I guess I try to see into the future of what it will be like when, you know, like today I had a 22 mile run at 20 miles. I pretended and I was like, you have two miles left to go. You're chasing the two eighteen right now. What's it going to look like? What's it going to feel like? And I'm just imagining myself doing that in those final two miles and same way with majority of the, and same way with the majority of the beginning and the middle miles. Wow.
0: So one quote that I want to bring in here, I think you posted it on Twitter. It was a P Diddy quote and it's short. It just says, nobody cares, work harder. I'm curious, now that we're having this conversation about training philosophy and, and how you put mm-hmm. in the work each day, each week, why'd you post it and, and what does it mean to you?
1: I just really like the quote about how you just got to put in the work. People in this world didn't become great artists great musicians millionaires overnight where guys like mark zuckerberg and bill gates got to they were like literally sleeping two hours at night just grinding to get to where they were uh well well to like where they are now uh financially and like just having the professional life they do and definitely athletics you know watching guys like like kobe bryant I, i've watched this video of how he'd be at the gym at four o'clock in the morning shooting baskets for three hours and he'd go lift weights for three hours, go home and nap. And then then he'd do it again in the afternoon a little bit. And if guys like him and like LeBron, and like I said, Bill Gates and like, just, just people like that, who aren't, who, who aren't afraid to put in the work, you just got to do it. I don't know. I, you know, uh, it's so easy to look at guys like Kobe, who, who probably had all the talent in the world, but But um, he probably never thought that. You know, Uh, Kobe always thought he had to be the hardest worker in the room. And that's what I've always adapted, just being the hardest worker.
0: Yeah. Once we finish recording here, I'll send you. You probably already read it, but there's this great GQ interview with with Kobe Bryant where he talks about the lifestyle that he's constructed to do what he does. And I think the interviewer was like, Do you have friends? He's like, I don't have friends, per se. I have like acquaintances. And and they know that I'm like off in the gym at 7 30 at night on a Friday. Like, I don't have time to do it. Like, they know yeah, that no. I'm on X, Y, Z path. They respect it. And anyways, there's a bunch of great like quotes and moments from that. interview. Yeah. I'll send it your way if you haven't checked it already.
1: Yeah. Yeah. One time I read that uh, it was like LeBron's like third or fourth year in the league. He's like 21, 22 and about how he was eating salads and uh, grilled chicken on the bus and not going out to the clubs or anything like that. Like his first couple of years in the NBA, because he was so focused on just becoming the best basketball player he could. I'm like, wow, if he. If he can have the willpower to do that, then I need that willpower too.
0: So, on that same thread, do you look to anybody in particular for motivation and inspiration within the sport of running and outside of it? Like, is is Kobe that someone that you look up to, or are you pretty internally motivated?
1: So, I'm pretty internally motivated for the most part. I definitely have factors. I wake up and I see a result. I'm like, wow, I need to get running. I need to get working out, but. So my big thing is I'm very grateful for my job and where I'm at. And I always see it as there's some parent or some mom, there's some dad who's out there right now at 5 a.m. with me who probably got six hours of sleep, who works more than I do, who's working 50 hours a week, who has a few kids. And that person's trying to break 28 minutes in the 5k, trying to get a Boston qualifier, trying to do this and that. And they're doing it on a lot more stress than I am. And if that person is out there with me right now, then, um, I have no excuse. You know, that's just, uh, that's just how I've seen it as I've really, these past few years gotten like, a um, an admiration for like the adult runner and just the lifestyle, especially like, like I couldn't imagine trying to do this with a family, everything. And, and some guys who I know are able to run like 70, 80 miles a week and, run in the two thirties, two forties for a marathon and guys who didn't even really run in college much are able to do this. And I think that's incredible. And watching them like on, on Strava start their runs at four 12 in the morning, I think, Holy crap, if these guys can do this and just like do it off a minimal sleep and still have a professional life and a family life. I'm like, you have no
0: excuse right now. I know. I know. It's funny. I, um, I just finished the autobiography of Bill Rogers you know, the famous American marathoner back in the seventies mm-hmm. uh-huh. and he was doing all of his mileage and he was running 208, 209 in the marathon while working full-time as a teacher, running at recess, running at lunch, uh-huh. running to and from work. And it's just funny because we have these entire teams like Hoka yeah. Nazelite, for example, dedicated to giving runners the bandwidth to do this full-time, really talented runner, Scott Fobel, Sid, all mm-hmm. those guys. And they're still struggling to get anywhere close to what he got to. And I definitely am a huge proponent of uh, allowing as many runners as possible to do this full time, but it, it is interesting that once upon a time, mm-hmm. like back in the 70s, 80s, yeah. there were these like true dedicated amateur runners like Rogers mm-hmm. who could get it done and still be like elite.
1: It was before Chicago uh, Sweat Elite came out of the video where Ian Butler, Ian Butler is a sub two ten marathoner, is also a high school like English teacher. And he was on a track in Chicago, like 440 in the morning, busting out 800s. And I watched that. and I was like, I got to raise my game. If this guy's able to do that and have the same profession as me and be a lot faster than me, I'm like, I got to work hard. If he can do that, then I need to do that. So,
0: Maybe we talk about this right now. Do you have sponsors?
1: Yes. Yes. I've got a few. I have Salt Stick, who I started, who... Came on right before the treadmill. It's uh, very, uh, oh, i got some right here. I take them throughout the day. They're like electrolyte tabs and all that. I take yeah. 10 through the day to help my, um, to just help my system. There's no junk in here, which is nice. And then recently I added matrix treadmills to my two sponsors where I ran on, I ran my hundred mile treadmill world record on a matrix. And then finally, after some great conversations, we reached out and we found an agreement between the two of us and they took me on as their first athlete. So I'm grateful for both those two for believing in me.
0: Do you have like a shoe sponsor?
1: I do not know. I've had a few talks here and there. I'm able to get some shoes at a discount, but I guess probably my main shoe sponsor would be my paycheck.
0: (laughs) Have you ever entertained opportunities to do this full-time? Do you think that you'd be better off doing this full-time? Or do you think that the lifestyle that you've constructed is sufficient?
1: I mean, yes, I I would love to get nine hours of sleep and run and definitely run as a job. Just the opportunity has not presented itself. I've had conversations with a few different clothing and shoe brands a few times, but nothing that I'm willing to sign on the dotted line for or nothing that would have changed my to where I would have had to leave my job to train full-time. I mean, uh, don't get me wrong. That's my absolute dream. I think it's every runner's dream is just to wake up and run every day. But I think I have it down pretty well right now where I'm at. Yeah. It's, you know, I love teaching. I love school, but it sucks to wake up at four, get in 22 miles of interval work before school and then going to school and and, and the kids are on you and then you come home and you do and you do like a recovery run and you're just toasted but it's better than sitting at a desk and it's uh better than not running so i'm grateful for both of those things
0: okay, very cool i want to go back a bit to where you're based in the midwest who are some fellow ultra runners in that area that the community should be aware of and the reason i ask this question is i feel like almost all media coverage and attention is centered in my area of the country like the mountain west in the west and one of the ongoing threads of this show is like trying to shed some light on your area of the country the east coast yeah other other areas
1: yeah let me talk about my i feel my friend of me is who i want to beat um uh you have let's start with Phil Young I ran with him yesterday the 2021 uh Tunnel Hill champion in Iowa you have Arlen Glick uh the Haveline 100 winner that um okay, yep in Ohio so um he's won like seven or eight 100 mile races um you got Pat Reagan down in Georgia uh Pat gets a little bit of attention um I have a buddy named Joe Miller in Springfield who's a pretty crazy mountain guy um He's aiming for a golden ticket this year, I think, uh, something like that. So he's a crazy guy. Uh, You got Corey, uh, who's based out of Ottawa, but Corey's all over the world. Um, Zach Bevan, very fast OTQ guy. He's originally from Kentucky, but now I think he's living in Boston. Oh, shoot. Let
0: me think. Uh, Any females on the scene we should be aware of?
1: I'm not sure, you know, uh, there's very few ultra people out there. It's a pretty small group. I apologize to any of my friend of me who I didn't name, but that's about it. Uh, coincidentally, uh, Zach Vitter's from Wisconsin, but uh, he lives in like Phoenix now. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, can't really. Uh, Sam Skills, he's a pretty good middle-aged guy up in Michigan. I think he's around 13 hours for a flat 113, 13 and a half hours. He's fast too. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: What are your thoughts on, why that like the midwest and the east coast don't get as much media coverage and recognition because obviously there's no shortage of great performances and great athletes in your area i'm really curious to get your take here
1: i'm, I'm really not sure of that i just think a lot of people think ultra running is like a cool like hippie west coast thing to do i'm not 100 sure uh we definitely have guys here who can battle i would put uh the guys so i just name on the line i I would assemble the Avengers I like the Midwest guys and take on the West coast guys in whatever format of my guys. I just that would named be awesome. And, uh, take them to war with me. Uh, because, uh, we are tough. I, I don't really understand. I know. I don't even think there's a golden ticket race on our side of the Mississippi. I'm not hundred percent sure. I think there used to be one in Texas or there is one in Texas this year, but I'm not sure.
0: Yeah. The fact that there is no East coast or Honestly, Midwest, if you exclude Texas, oh. golden ticket races is, is a travesty. Mm-hmm. Um maybe talk a bit about what makes flat road ultra marathons so cool. You know, make a pitch to the audience about why they're desirable to do, because obviously there's a lot of guys and girls in your area that do it well that specialize in it. And mm-hmm. I think it's just good to shed light on it
1: you know, flat ultra running is really cool because you can train for it right out your door like a marathon. So in marathon training, you have one harder interval and one long run. That's like a tempo where you're trying to do a lot of marathon half marathon pace. And when you switch to a flat 50 or flat 100, um, kind of my thing is if I were coaching an athlete, I wouldn't have them do a Tuesday, Wednesday interval. And then on Saturday, instead of running 20 miles, we would stretch that out to 30, 32, maybe 35. And then Sunday we would come back and kind of do like a medium long. So like the uh, training for flat stuff is a lot logistically easier for the working professional. You know, uh, not everyone can live in California or uh, Colorado or Arizona where they can reach these mountains. I mean, if you're willing to do elevation games, like uh, Sage Canada has this thing where 10K at 10% on the treadmill, uh, stuff like that can definitely work, but that doesn't teach you to... um, Ascend, you know, it, it, it doesn't teach you how to fly down a mountain. So, uh, uh, so like when you do this flat stuff, it's just, uh, it's just easier, you know, your day is quicker. And in my opinion, and, uh, Nick Curry's opinion too, it's harder than the, uh, than the mountain stuff because it's straight, it's a straight time trial. Let's say you're having problems and you got to stop and change shoes. Well, that takes a minute off and now you got to find that minute later in the game. It's basically you versus yourself and a flat race and yeah
0: let's actually talk about nick curry for a second i think that's how you and i connected what i'm curious to get your thoughts on his philosophy of negative splitting and whether that's something you've tried to incorporate in the past you're thinking about now maybe when you return to ultras one day or maybe during your otq training it's something that's going to be a priority for you
1: you know, uh, I need to give a shout out to Nick because I watched that 24 hour run pretty much on and off throughout the day. And I woke up the next day and I was yelling at my TV. So that was awesome for him. I was able to run with Nick at the dome. He ran like a 20 minute negative split for like a 1320 or 13, 2500 mile or, or something like that. Crazy. He definitely has a really cool philosophy for uh, negative splitting ultras. I will try it when I come back and I'll definitely use it for the marathon. If it'll work for me, I'm not 100% sure, but um, I'm definitely going to give it a try. I've read all three of his blogs on it a few times, and he suggests this try starting a C race. And then eventually you do it in a B race and then an A race. And so maybe that's something I need to work on. But uh, Nick is like the Albert Einstein of ultra running. Like he's got it down. I, I, I don't get it. Like he's great when it comes to uh, like nutrition, everything. And
0: so, yeah. That's a great comparison. So, Right now, would you say that you're still in the camp of like, it's important to make your faster miles faster as opposed to making those slower miles in the second half of the race faster?
1: So I don't know. I always feel my best in hundred, like 30 miles and like 30, 35. And then I feel that really good until about 60. And I would say those are my best miles of the day. Um, for what it's worth at Badger, where I DNF'd at mile 87, I had my fastest split between like 60 and 70. I was running like low seven minute pace. And that's just because I got on a high late in the game. And that's common for me to go through lows and highs and feel one more high right before the last 25 miles or so. But definitely I can see where he's coming from. But at the same time, if you feel good, I don't know, at like 45 or 50, maybe you should just ride the wave. I'm not hundred percent sure something that I need to, would have to try it out to really be like sold on the whole big negative split, just like how he does. Uh, there's a difference between like me running a 220 marathon and I come through the half and one ten thirty, and then I close thirty seconds faster than the second half. Like like Nick is insanely like negative splitting stuff.
0: So one other question I've always wanted to ask you because you've been in the triathlon world because you're now dabbling more seriously in the road marathoning world you've been in the ultra world why don't you think we have more talented athletes in ultras right now
1: um well ultra still a new sport there's not a lot of money there there's more money in triathlon there's more i made more money in my road racing this year than i did any ultra really uh yeah (laughs) yeah
0: so in in sorry and just so i understand in like the triathlon world for example even if you are not Lionel Sanders, for example, who I'm guessing would be like the Jim Walmsley of that sport, even if you're not Lionel, you can still make a like a pretty good living.
1: I wouldn't say a pretty good living, but if I was still in triathlon right now, um, I could probably make like I don't know, probably 500 bucks for a non-branded 70.3, and then if I were to go to an Ironman, I'm not 100 sure how much they pay out or going to. Like a weird distance triathlon, like a red three event or something like that, where first place get like seven fifty or a thousand bucks, and second place would go just down from there. There's a lot of uh, Olympic distance races in Chicago. That first place is like two hundred, five hundred dollars, and it goes down from there to third. So it's definitely more money than I've ever made in ultra. So
0: <laughs> yeah, because I always thought that if you weren't necessarily the best, but you were close to it. Tr- the trail in Ultra World would be your scene because, like, if you're a 216 or a 217 road guy or a 235 road woman, you're out of luck when it comes to like, making a career in the sport. Whereas, um, you can be a couple notches below Jim mm-hmm. Walmsley or Courtney DeWalter, for example, in our sport, and you can still, I st- I think, we're just getting to a point where you can cut it financially. So,
1: yeah, 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 yeah. It's tough to say. You know, you can target like the kind of the mid-range marathons where you can walk away with two thousand bucks, two thousand bucks, and a two performance, which is really cool. And yeah, that's that's something I'll be doing these next few years. You know, um, I'm going to race some bigger marathons at the same time. I'm going to race some kind of medium-sized ones, just to where I know I can come close to the win and still have an okay time and everything. But um, as far as the other stuff, uh, maybe just because the money is, I haven't seen. I maybe because the money's not in flat ultra right now, but, um, I know I would have to take a more in-depth look over mountain payout versus flat payout. I can tell you, um, if you are in a position where you're thinking about becoming a pro ultra runner, um, I would say 90% of the companies out there are going to push you to race in the mountains. And I'm very thankful that salt stick and matrix, let me choose, you know, what I want to race. I know there are very good professionals out there who are racing races. They don't even want to step on the starting line for, but because of who they're with, it, they're being pressured for their contract and their incentives to choose where they want to be. And for someone like myself, um, like I said, I'm grateful for both my, uh, both Salt Stick and Matrix, where they support me to, uh, if I want to chase an OTQ or if I want to go after a 50 or a 24 hour off a limb. So definitely contracts with the company uh, come into who's on the starting line. I can't hear you.
0: This is a pretty general question, but we ask it with almost every guest on the show. What is exciting you most about the ultra world right now?
1: You know, I really hope that the whole Hoka 100K and Jim's thing like blew up people because um, I think the road 100K distance is something that um, a lot of the very fast, longer guys like Jim, like... uh, Hayden Hawks uh like Zach Bevan those guys can duke it out and then eventually guys who are faster than me in the marathon like the 215 213 guys can be like you know what 62 miles is only a couple gels and we can really push this 100k i think there's i think there is more hope for 100k than there are Mount 100 24 hours on the track just because um so 100 miles is more of like a North American thing. Yes. Yes. There are hundred mile races in like uh, Europe and, and just wherever across the world, but like miles is, um, is like a United States thing. When you go everywhere else, it's hundred K or 200 K, you know, um, just because they're measuring everything in a kilometers. So I think if we can round, round everyone up to 100 K, you know, I could definitely see, a lot of people shooting for a spring marathon someday and then rather be hundred K worlds or comrades or something like that, or the 100 K race in Japan. That's like kind of point to point where you get a tailwind and that's where the world record is. But, uh, I definitely think there's a lot of potential there for that distance.
0: Conversely, what is concerning or annoying you most about the ultra world these days?
1: Well, probably the most annoying thing is what we talked about, about how the flat guys don't get a lot of attention. You know, um, Nick Curry's performance was awesome this year. Phil's performance's 100-mile run was awesome. Zach's strolling gym uh, record back in May um, on the roads, a 40-miler there, um, was amazing. Uh, definitely, it's just not getting the attention. Like the mountain and the trail stuff, even like the um, marathon distance and below for trails doesn't get the near I don't know, but I look as what a trail 100 miler does in the United States. And uh, just like I said, uh, 100 miles is only cool in the U S because we measure miles. If you go to like other places like there, I mean, yes, like there are 100 mile distance races, but the, uh, uh, like that number is not very specific in other countries. Okay. That makes sense.
0: Oh, no, no, perfect sense. This next section of our conversation is brand new and it might be one cool. and done, but you're one of the best tweeters I know out there in the running world. And so if you get nothing else from this interview, please go follow Taggart on Twitter because he's a great Twitter prolific tweeter too. What we're going to do is I'm going to read one of your tweets and you're going to explain the tweet.
1: This is great. I can't wait.
0: September 24th, 2021 quote. Yeah. I want to run Spartathlon next year. End quote.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely someday, uh, maybe not next year, but that was when I was still on the ultra grind. I want to run Spartathlon. I'd like to run a course record there. Spartathlon is what a lot of people would consider. Once I figure out how to run hundred miles again, my bread and butter. I mean, it's like 153 mile road race. You start and you finish at It's point to point and it's hot. And it just sounds like an awesome thing to do. There's not a lot of vertical gain. And uh, uh, I would say Spartathlon is one of those races that deserves more attention that it does not have. You know, it's, it's a tough one. And it's cool.
0: Next tweet: "Quote. Do you want to join our ambassador program? You'll receive twenty percent off product in exchange for ten thousand Instagram posts." End quote. Sign me up.
1: You know, um, I get kind of annoyed by people who will just like say, um, "I will sign this thing with X company to receive this to receive this nutrition product or something like that." And, I mean, I get if you want to be a part of like a community or like a team, you know, that's all for you. But sometimes like I scroll through social media on like my news feeds and I'm just like, you got kidding me. Like, come on people. You got to add more pride in that. Like this stuff doesn't cost that much money. You know, I mean, I get it that like, yeah, you are getting a discount, but plastering your whole social media over a product that, that uh, doesn't even pay you to do it. I'm like, come on. It's annoying.
0: Next one. This is December 26, 2021 quote. Don't look up is the best Netflix movie ever made. End quote.
1: Yeah. I just watched that. It was like, it was, it was funny and cool and everything. Um, it's, it's up there for me for Netflix movies, maybe bird box, but uh, both of them are pretty opposite. I don't know. I watched it the other day and I was like laughing not at everything. I don't know. It's a great movie. It's like two and a half hours long. It's got a lot of famous people in it. So yeah. Give it a try.
0: Last tweet. Quote, your hate comments about my training do not phase me. I work with teenagers. End quote.
1: I get a lot of heck online from uh middle-aged guys who can run my marathon pace for one mile or run my hundred mile pace for 5k or 10K who think they need to give me unsolicited training advice. And uh sometimes I'll get like a rando guy on Twitter or Strava who's making this sarcastic reply about either my race or my, uh, about my race or like my training. But like these people don't understand. I work like, I love my students, but I work with seventh and eighth graders and I love them. I would do anything for them. If something happened in the school, I would protect them. But sometimes they're just like so mean and you gotta have tough skin working with these guys. And like, uh, I don't think these random people know it. Like I, I, get, I get dissed on every day when I'm at work by, by some eighth grader who's cooler than me, you know, <laughs> that's just, that's just how it is in my profession. I don't know. And, and and just kind of, like I said, the, uh, these guys say, you need a coach, you need to read this book. Like, and I'm just like, who are you? What have you done? Are you out there trying to grind and be the best in the U S and best in the world? No. Okay goodbye. You know, that's, that's just how I see it.
0: Awesome. Well, that concludes the explain this tweet section. We may do it again, but I'm not sure we'll have as good of a tweeter on anytime soon. I got, dude, this has been a great conversation. I have two more questions for you. First is when you do return in 2024, I think you've talked about it a bit, but just to remind the audience, what do you, what are you going to pursue in the ultra scene when you return in 2024?
1: You know, um, hopefully I make it in 24 marathon trials. And when I come back, uh, Eventually, I'd want the 100-mile world record, but I think before then, uh, I need to swallow my own pride and finally be a little more small-headed over this. I need to just finish a 100 and smile every single mile along the way and just have fun and just talk, to, uh, just talk to other racers. So I could definitely see myself potentially in the fall of that year, being like, "You know what? I've had a long track season, two years of marathons, three years of marathons. It's time to come back, maybe." do a quicker 100K and then eventually go for the 100 mile world record and maybe someday the 24 hour American record and world record. So uh, I, just need, uh, I just need a long track season of marathons and then I'll come back and the flame will be burning hotter than ever for ultra. So I'm, I'm confident on that.
0: Awesome. Last question. If you could put a training related message on a billboard for all to see, what would it say and why?
1: it would say, uh, learn, learn to run at a very easy pace or a low heart rate. Um, I would say almost 90% of my training would be, uh, where I'm running seven and a half minute pace. And that's very, that's very comfortable for me. My heart beats about 120 beats per minute, 130 beats per minute, that's zone one zone two. And, um, I just think still today and Almost 2022. There are a lot of people who uh, still just kind of just run hard every day, and they don't know how to just kind of chill out. And uh, that was my big thing with ultra running was I went like two years without running a workout because in triathlon I was trying to gain speed in a half marathon, and finally I came to ultra, and I'm like, I can just run seven seven and a half minute pace based off feel every day. And learning to do something like that and have that discipline is will, we'll do a
0: lot. Cool. Taggart. We really appreciate you coming on the pod, dropping all this knowledge. I will make sure to link to all of your social channels and your Strava in our weekly newsletter, as well as the show notes. And I'm sure that there's going to be a lot of folks out there interested in following your journey. I hope you get that OTQ. And uh, I think I speak for a lot of people when I say we're stoked for your return to the ultra world when it comes.
1: Hey, uh, thank you so much for having me. You know, I'm, I'm only 26. I've got a lot of years ahead of me and I'm, I'm grateful to I'm grateful to be on here and, and I'm glad I found you through that Nick and I'll probably go to re-listen to that sometime next week or so. That was awesome.
0: Hell yeah, appreciate it. Great to meet you and uh, until next time. Sounds good. Hey, thanks for listening. I just have the same usual requests. Please consider giving us a review in Apple, a rating in Spotify and share us on social instagram twitter wherever you spend the most time i know i say it all the time but yes it truly does help more folks discover the show so thank you as always i am your host finn melanson i am grateful for your support and i will talk to you on the next